Hello, and welcome to the Chris Yeh Podcast. I am, as always, Chris Yeh, and I am joined today here at the Unreasonable Group's uh, future, uh, future, what's the, what are we calling this one? So it's called Unreasonable Future. Unreasonable Future, a social impact accelerator, and Emil Hewage is one of the fellows, one of the entrepreneurs who has come here from London in order to... Actually, no, not from London. You're Cambridge, from England. Cambridge, England. I was. Uh, it's all the same yeah. to us Americans. Uh, to participate in the proceedings, and Emil, I thought I'd start by asking you the question I've now asked you twice before, which is, your company is doing amazing things. Can okay. you describe how it does it by using an analogy of a science fiction movie? Thanks. That's a great question. Um, so. What we're doing is trying to do the same thing as in Iron Man, the movie, uh, when Tony Stark was first fitted with his sort of chest-based power generator. It was to stop um, the sort of certain death that was coming because his heart was about to fail. And we're doing something that is 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 so close it's almost freaky. We're fitting um, uh, long-term neural connected technology to look after failing organs. Yeah. Now this is the thing that really sort of blew me away because to me. This is a completely new way of treating illnesses and conditions. Uh, my understanding, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, is that there are certain sort of parts of the neural system that you are able to stimulate. And you've been able to figure out how different combinations of stimulations can treat conditions like heart failure or, or hypertension in a way that doesn't require any drugs. Yeah, so, um, so let's unpack two things that you just talked about. So the part of the brain and the part of the nervous system that, that we really realized is really important to, to directly address is what's sort of colloquially, colloquially known as the, the brain stem, the reptile brain, mm -hmm. right? So the bit, the bit of our brain that, you know, if someone's very, very ill, the moment that stops being active, they're defined as dead, uh, which is quite a somber way to think about it. But in, in, a, in a more positive way to think about it, this is the, the first bit of a brain that ever evolved 500 million years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's called the reptile brain because it emerged at the time of the reptiles. And it is an intelligent little computer made out of neurons that's job is to keep the whole organism alive. Mm -hmm. um, so the way that we started to look at this, and it's we here is a field of science, the scientific community, is we started to look at when people get older and have these lifestyle diseases like heart failure, diabetes, et cetera, um, you know, what are the drugs that we have today that are already working? Mm -hmm. Because the cost of these treatments is, is getting out of control. And the number of people who are getting older is, is accelerating, which is a good thing. But we need to tackle this, this degradation issue. And when you look at all the really powerful, effective drug targets, the majority of the, the drugs that you take actually go and hit the nervous system. So hit the neurons that are coming out of that brainstem mm -hmm. and change the signals it's sending to um, to the organs. So there was this sort of light bulb moment, sort of brainstem moment 15 years ago, and we started going, well, what can we find signatures of this that will let us change lifetime conditions? So it sounds to me like what you're saying is instead of using drugs, which may have side effects or may wear out over time or you may become habituated to them, you're able to stimulate the nerves directly and have the same or perhaps even better impact because instead of being limited to what the compounds are, you can actually figure out the biological signature and come up with an even more effective treatment. Yeah, indeed. And we call them sort of neuroceuticals. So um, powerful as a drug, but delivered by an algorithm with hopefully no side effects. And with all of the power of the design space you get in digital technology, um, what, we're, what we're really doing is, is 
They're, the, the, the nervous system is playing the role of a biological internet, and we're learning the code that's going back and forth, and then defining treatments as additions and subtractions to that code. So what I can actually do is I can almost, with your technology, hack my own body to make myself some sort of like Captain America-style Superman. Yeah, so I mean, what we what we think our our, our sort of our contribution to the world is and to people is is, is to give a, a a new and additional control over your own health, mm -hmm. because we believe that we're sort of an additional and very powerful new lever in in hacking the operating system of, of life. Got it. That's amazing. Now, the interesting question is, how did you get here? I've heard all sorts of things about how you're a genius. I know you're, you're a modest man, but you're a genius. Uh, you like, have had companies that you took public when you were 18 years old. Tell me more about all the things that led you up to this point. So those two facts are apocryphal, but I've been part of... Um, <laughs> when I left high school, I did join some early stage technology companies in Cambridge. I was motivated by the mission, and I was lucky enough about 15 years ago 16 years ago to work with founders that in that time took their pub companies public and we worked on the technologies that were defining the future, which was fuel cells and then microchips that were reading blood levels 15 years ago and we put them into Johns Hopkins. And you did this straight out of college or straight out of high school? Yes, so straight out of high school. What kind of high school did you go to that allowed you to develop these skills? Oh, so first, yeah, I went to a great school in Aberdeen uh, where I was lucky enough at the age of about 13 to be given a scholarship. I uh, wouldn't have been able to afford to go there otherwise. Mm -hmm. And um, Aberdeen is a big oil city, so a lot of a lot of the jobs around were in oil. As a scientist, I was good at science. I couldn't identify with the kind of quite destructive um, impact of the oil industry, even though that's where the jobs were. Mm -hmm. And so I had, I had a great learning environment because there were engineers everywhere. And I, all I needed was to figure out something that I could be an engineer on that I would do for the rest of my life. And I saw a talk at a, at a conference, um, an energy conference in Aberdeen, was inspired by the words of a guy called Mike, who had a six-person company at the time, and then decided to write to him and say, I'll work for you for effectively minimum wage, well, less than minimum wage, because 17-year-olds, 16-year-olds don't get paid mm -hmm. minimum wage, and then that was the start of the journey. Got it. Now, what brought you to starting your first company? Is this your first company you've started, or have you started other ones before this? No, I've, um, I've actually started, um, and I still support um, uh, three other businesses. The mm -hmm. first business I, I really wanted to start was um, was actually a self-driving car company mm. um, because I'd been in the starting team of the solar car racing group in Cambridge. Ah, of course. Um, all great um, moonshot engineers come from solar car teams. Uh, the Tesla guys, the battery pack guys are on the start of Tesla. I was a part of a hybrid car project when I was an undergraduate at Stanford all those years ago. And I still remember uh, I was not on the engineering side. I was calling people up trying to get support for the project. And people laughed at me and said, there will never be electrical or hybrid cars. I mean, it's never going to happen. Right. And that's the beautiful element of where the engineer in you goes, oh, well, it, well, it can happen if there's some money for it. That's right. And so... Um, then, as I started my PhD in the machine learning group in Cambridge, and have, having done, uh, did a lot of research with McLaren and other companies, and mm -hmm. so automotive was the, was the thing I was familiar with. Mm -hmm. My friends who were from the Stanford team were busy being hired into Sebastian Trun's team. Mm -hmm. He went to Google, and mm -hmm. I went, "Wow, we should do something cool." Also, why can't we do that in Cambridge? And so I tried to start a self-driving car team in 2012. Me and about four other people wrote a kind of a white paper and said. Self-driving cars are coming. Our prediction is they'll be driving around cities in uh, about 2018. And all the tech that you, no one thinks is there is available because automotive is amazing and no one realizes that. That's what we know in Britain. And 
the software side is amazing. It's happening in the West Coast. So the best thing we should do is Cambridge can never build more than one of something. So let's build one self-driving car or a few of them, a little network of them, and then uh, make open all the technologies that are already existing and we'll focus our IP on on um, the stuff that isn't there yet, but it's the UX and the safety and the scalability. Got it. So that was one of three. What were the other two? Well, so, so that actually went fantastically badly because... <laughs> Um, I put I put some savings that I had had into starting that. I rented a garage. The only one of the four founders who left their left their position was this guy who wasn't even finished his undergrad degree at Cambridge. And mm. Cambridge is not a city where you can leave during your undergraduate. Oh, really? And where and the other two guys, one was a consultant in the city, and one was a, a tech consultant. They went, Nah, it doesn't sound like it's ready to go yet. So that money and the renting of a garage, I turned into a, a group called Car or Cambridge Applied Research. Mm-hmm. So just turned it into a non-profit, sort of self-sustaining open lab, which basically meant, hey, I'm now sitting here for the next foreseeable time trying to start the next startup. But I, I rented all this kit, come in and use it. You know, The moment you think of an idea, come and use it. If you get funded, maybe cover the cost with me. So your investment became a donation. It became a donation. And then luckily that sort of, it's grown now and it's a team there and it runs as a social impact mm. kind of business, letting people who know what to do with the best and most newest technology build it to show the world that's the kind of mission there and um, it's quite cool mm-hmm. um and then um the this that's when i started working on this business because my close friend who i'd known for 10 years we started undergrad together went look what can we do with actual i'm a neuroscientist and a machine learner so what would be the most what would be the 50-year business the business we would do or retire trying got it and so you brought together the two different sides the the biological neuro side and the hardcore engineering side that you already brought to the table from your experiences. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And my co-founder, uh, when I met him, was was immediately after this this time at high school and post high school in two big two big companies. That, and uh, he he was my tutorial buddy on day one. So I was sort of nearly nineteen by this point, so getting a bit kind of world weary. I'd done hundred hours a week for two years, and he'd grown up down the road and was completely green and just said in his intro talk, hi, I'm Oliver, and uh, I believe we should put brain chips on our heads because there's a lady who's paralyzed who can control her tablet, and I want the same thing, and the only the only problem at the moment is it will give me debilitating scarring uh, that will make my brain die, and I'm going to solve that problem, then we're all going to have them. And obviously no one made friends with him, and then I was forced to be friends slash supervision partners with him and then stuck work with him, working with him ever since. Amazing. And today, how big is your team? How many people do you have working on this? Um, that's a great question as well. Um, we really have a great team now. We Five years ago, it was two of us in a garage. Um, now, uh, our main R&D office is in Cambridge. We have about 30 people mm-hmm. from fields such as uh, medical robotics. Um, this, the data tools guys at CERN now work with us. We have an ex-NASA person who's just started our Canada office, some machine learning researchers, and some uh, medical and clinical experts. And we have another sort of 15 you know, part-time people mm-hmm. like advanced surgeons, et cetera. Now, obviously, this is a lot of incredible stuff that you've achieved. Looking back, if you were to be able to call yourself using a magic telephone on your high school graduation day, yeah. what would you tell your younger self? Is there any advice that you'd give him? Uh, on the days when you're struggling to explain why you've made this choice to mom and dad, uh, don't get so disappointed or sad by the tone of their voice or their questions. Just go explore the world that day just just go for a bike ride because if you keep following that your nose five or six times eventually you'll hit something that you care about and how do your parents feel about all this today 
they've just about figured out that it's a real job um, because we've started taking <laughs> salaries and that kind of thing. Before they thought, Emil, why don't you make money? What's going on? Are you unemployed? Do you need help? All of those questions repeatedly and every fact they answer, I couldn't give them an answer that didn't even prove it in the, in the affirmative for me. But do you have a salary? No. <laughs> Has anyone given you this, these millions you're talking about? Not yet, but we're going to. Does the thing work? Not yet. Has anyone bought it yet? No, 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 not yet. We think it will. And therein lies entrepreneurship in a nutshell. I don't believe it's uh, possible to do moonshots without taking on risk. Indeed. Amen to that. So what are the next steps for you guys? What are the things that you're looking forward to over the next couple of years? So, um, you know, we've really had to bootstrap one of the first neural interface companies in the world, which is a, a funny thing. And now, uh, as we've sort of hit some big milestones where, the, where the, we have the most data in the world, we have our own way of doing discovery. We're about to give what I hope will be a really fantastic product to our first group of, group of people. Um, it's a great position for us to be in. Our first focus really is to, is to give amputees awesome neural equipment because mm -hmm. we can do that f fast and we can then create precedent for the entire stack. So, you know, we believe the transformation will be like the Da Vinci robot coming out. But the first thing to do is to get that system, get the hardware out there into existence. And then from then onwards, software will accelerate the possibilities for the next 20 years. Yeah, and I think that it's really important to underscore that because software allows such rapid iteration, just getting the hardware out there so that the platform can evolve quickly is, I think, the right strategic move. Thanks. Yeah, and one, one comment there is we, we sort of, we launched an IEEE standard um, last year. Uh, we're really about open, uh, open formats, open data. We want this to be an understandable technology. So if anyone wants to kind of get involved in that, we have a great sort of partnerships desire. Well, where should they go to find out more information about what you're doing? How would they find that? I think the easiest thing to do is come to the website. It's uh, bios.health, mm -hmm. um, you know, the basic input-output system for, for our health. And um, yeah, drop us a message. And we have, do many forms of collaboration. We support researchers, clinicians, or you know, couldn't even take visits. Now, we're here at Unreasonable Future. This is part of the Unreasonable Group. It's an incredible organization. I've said many great things about them over the years. But what's your experience been? You've just been here for how long? Oh, that's a good question. It feels like a long time, but I think it's only been about five days, maybe four. What's the experience been like? Uh, relentless engagement from very uh, genuinely... Um, helpful people who do care about what you're trying to achieve and for the time they're here can open doors that I certainly and I know the other fellows think we really wouldn't be able to access in, in a best luck scenario over the next 10 years. That is very important because uh, I do tell people, uh, many of the fellows, the entrepreneurs, I tell them, you have to understand the mentors are not here because they committed some crime and a judge assigned them to community service. They're here because they believe that the highest use of their time is helping accelerate your progress. So never forget that you guys are the ones doing the amazing things. We are here as your support staff, and we are glad to be a part of that journey. Thank you very much. I think it understates the accomplishment of the mentors, but definitely appreciate the accelerations they are doing for us. Well, Emil, I appreciate your taking the time out of the busy schedule to join me. Are there any final thoughts that you'd like to share with folks who might be listening, either about entrepreneurship, your own journey, your own experiences? Final thoughts. We have a really unique uh, deep tech kind of entrepreneurial community in Cambridge 
I really encourage those who are nearby to send us a note. One, one of myself or a little network of entrepreneurs are happy to host you. And Cambridge is about finding ideas and trying to launch them to other people. It's not about holding on to things. And I think that that will be the future for that city. Well, Emil, I look forward to the day when your products are out there, when I can push the button and make myself into Iron Man slash Captain America. Of course, there are many more important things like helping amputees and, and other people with debilitating conditions, but I'm looking forward to the, being a superhero. It's great. I look forward to that too. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you.